Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. The faithists ignore the evidence, so we don't, I mean, there's another theoretical account of why we want to do classical, like rational, looking for inconsistencies, for, for all kinds of arguments. If they're there, let's look at them and look at the evidence, historical, scientific, you know, archaeological, and whatever else is there. Now, having said that, um, one, one last thing. I'll make this one short. I, I, God knows I could make this long. There's, it's complicated, but you need to know there are three legitimate approaches here to life when you're studying something, when you're trying to justify something. And um, this comes from the philosophy of science, but I, I think it belongs in the philosophy of religion as well. Three approaches. We all know that a lot of people in this culture, most people are faithists. That's one approach. I, I have about 20 arguments against it, but it's basically, if you're a faithist, it's irrational. You could believe anything because you're not impressed with evidence. Um, how do you know it's true if you don't apply some kind of justification? Um, on and on it goes. There are two other approaches. Sometimes this is misunderstood, and I want to make it clear before we start looking at, at, at our evidence for God's existence, our evidence for biblical trustworthiness, our evidence for life after death. There are two options that if you're not a faithist, just you can still be a faithist if you like after all of this, but there are two options um, if you're not. One is called strong, strong rationalism. Now, strong rationalism insists that for a religious belief to be justified, or if you like, a scientific belief to be justified, that you need conclusive evidence, strong, rational evidence. And the argument against that is, to make a long story short, there is no such thing. There is nothing except maybe basic tautologies like this, married, this unmarried man is a bachelor, or one and one is two. There aren't. There isn't any theoretical view like the theory of evolution or, or that, that you're really there when you close your eyes. There's nothing we can conclusively prove. Strong rationalism is an impossible position. And no one should be saying, if you believe in God, I want, if, if, if you want me to believe it, you should give me conclusive proof, proof that a child could understand. Give it to me on a piece of paper. Show me that God exists. There is no such beast. I could say the same thing to the biologist. Show me conclusively that evolution is valid. And I guarantee they can't do it. They can't do it conclusively. There's too many flaws in the theory. And I could say the same thing with my, with my belief in God. I can't prove it conclusively. There's always something about human reason. It's finite. It's limited. We don't understand all there is to know about God. We have probable, likely evidence likely that it's valid. 
The minute you use that word prove religious beliefs, justify them, you don't mean conclusive, strong rationalism as if there's, the case is closed. You've just solved the problem of the, of the universe. No one can do that. What we can do is weigh the evidence, and there's a third position called critical rationalism. And I'm glad to say that this is where science is, and that's where religion should be. Science is not faithist. Science is not strong rationalist anymore. They know they can't conclusively prove, you know, fundamental theories. That's why they, they, they but what they do is, 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 is they engage in critical, critical rationalism. Now, this is different from faithism because it looks for evidence. But it's different from strong rationalism because it knows that the evidence isn't conclusive. The evidence is there if your belief is true, but it's never conclusive. Now, that's what we're recommending. We're looking at, at trying to justify religious beliefs. No one is saying we've got a complete, 100% certain, conclusive proof. There's no such beast in the universe. You can't do that. Close your eyes and tell me that you exist. Or close your eyes and tell me there's somebody else in the room. We can't even prove that. We can't even prove that we have a mind. There's all kinds. Those are just silly things, but we can't prove theoretical knowledge. There's so much that we take for granted. Um, strong rationalism is not the name of the game. Faithism is a cop-out, an anti-intellectual cop-out, I think, from, from having to do the hard work of justifying what we believe. And therefore, faithists dominate the culture because we're a culture that doesn't want to do hard work about our beliefs. It's easier just to believe. Critical rationalism is saying, for God's sake, look at what you believe, the important things at least, but don't expect you're going to have complete proof, conclusive proof, but at least you're not a faithist anymore, that you've, you, you've, you've looked at the evidence, you're open to new evidence all the time. That's part of critical rationalism. Like if all of a sudden the earth, you know, is, is covered with some miserable plague that everybody is dying a horrible death and we know, or the comet's coming and we know that we've only got six months to live or six weeks to live. Some of us might start thinking, this is new evidence about my belief that God's loving and God's in charge. I don't think we'd give up belief in God, but we have to be open to new evidence. We have to be open to evidence. That's what critical rationalism is saying. It's a very humble position. Science has adopted it. I'm waiting for the day when theology adopts it. Either you get people who think, although remember there's only one in human history that, that we know of, one Christian, and I'm, I'm sorry to say he's the guy who gave us this great definition of God, uh, that in which nothing greater can be conceived. Anselm, A-N-S-E-L-M, is the only theologian we know of that thought he could conclusively prove every religious belief with reason. It's just, it can't happen. No one can do that. Um, and that's why he didn't have any followers. The rest of us, I hope, are not faithists. We don't give up. We try to justify what we believe, but we, we're aware of the fact that we shouldn't claim too much. Um, only probability. That we have a stronger argument. That we can refute the main criticisms and then take it from there. Now, having said that, I haven't talked about this. Just a couple notes on this without a web document. You've got enough to read. On agnosticism. It's all right to be an agnostic. Somebody who says, I don't know. I mentioned this just before the test because I had a couple of questions on it, but just a little bit more quickly. I want to tell you that a lot of people in the culture are like that. If I say, do you believe in an afterlife? It's all right to say, I don't know. But 
there are two forms of agnosticism. One is strong agnosticism, which says, I don't know, and it's impossible for anybody ever to know. That's strong agnosticism. There are people like that. I don't know about God. I don't know about the Bible. I don't know about life after death. I don't know about miracles, an agnostic will say, but I can be sure that no one will ever know it's impossible to know. Now, that's that, that position, I think, I could make 20 arguments against it, but basically that, that position is asking too much. And it's ignoring the fact that there is evidence for the afterlife, for God, for the Bible being trustworthy. That it's ignoring. So there's a weak agnosticism. See, now if you claim you're an agnostic, you don't have, I mean, you can qualify that and say, I'm a weak agnostic. I don't have the evidence. I've not investigated it thoroughly, but I'm open to it. In the meantime, until somebody shows me that there's legitimate evidence for my belief, I'm going to remain agnostic. But I'm not saying it's impossible to provide evidence. That one doesn't bother me. That's, that, that one is saying that I'm open. Now, what you want a weak agnostic to, to understand is that the next step is if you have an important belief like in an afterlife or a belief in reincarnation, um, or a belief in God, you want to start looking at, at what the evidence is. It's not, a, it's not hard to find. And, you know, if you look at, you can look on the web or you can look in decent books, you're going to find both sides of the coin. And, and eventually you start seeing a pattern. These people reject it for these reasons. These people accept my belief in, in this for these other reasons. And you can make up your own mind. But you need enough evidence. You start seeing how, how good the arguments are on both sides. Which ones can refute the other? And, and which, it's not just looking for a rationalization of what you believe, but trying to test your beliefs with knowing what the evidence is. Did you know that theism is largely agnostic? Like if you ask me this really difficult question, what do you believe as a Christian about people who, 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 who've never understood or accepted Jesus as the only way? You know that most, most theologians don't say you're going to burn in hell, you know, because you haven't, you haven't been, become a Christian. Most theologians, quite frankly, now say, I don't know. I don't know what happens to all the others. But they take Jesus' advice and say, I'm worrying about my own soul here. I'm worrying about myself. And I, and I, and secondly, I think God is just. That God will do the right thing. Because that's, that's what my belief is. But, don't think that, don't caricature all Christians if some of you are, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's out there in, in other classes, and it's out there in the media, and it's out there in the culture in general, that if you're not a Christian, all Christians think that you're going to burn in hell. That is not true. That's just, it's not my belief, and it's, I don't, I, I think it's, 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 it's like saying I know more than, or I know God's mind when, when I don't. I'm agnostic about that. I admit it. it I, I don't have enough evidence. There are all kinds of books being written about it, and it's surprising how many Christians take that stance. Some say you have to. Others say, well, maybe you're just hidden Christians and you don't know, and on and on. All kinds of arguments. And you could say the same thing about other religions, but um, it's not hardcore like that. Um, there's a lot of agnosticism. The Trinity. We don't understand how God can be three and one and one and three. and It's a very complicated doctrine. It's all right to be agnostic about some things, of saying you just don't know. 
there's ways to do it. God knows a visceral theology class, we could spend 20 weeks on the Trinity, and by the end of it, you'd probably have a pretty good idea that it does make rational sense, but we don't have that luxury. So it's all right in the meantime to say, I don't know. I'm just saying there's agnosticism in theism. And there is agnosticism in science, too. There's an awful lot that science doesn't know. Just before this class began, the article in, the, in, in, in a magazine listed the 50 or the 100 major things, major things, that science still doesn't know about the universe. And these are major, like all kinds of things that they're agnostic about. My complaint, this is the last point about agnosticism. My complaint about agnosticism is mostly that agnostics don't look at the evidence, first of all, if there is evidence. And secondly, there's, a, there's this tendency in this culture, despite the fact that we don't look at evidence, that evidence has to be scientific. We've, we've been completely indoctrinated into that. I think it's, it's the biggest cultural myth that we have to dispute. That if, you want it, if you're looking for evidence, let's say for... God or afterlife existences. Like just that question of the afterlife. What, I mean, if you say I'm agnostic about whether or not there's life after death, my guess is it's because science hasn't settled the issue. What you're saying is I don't have enough evidence. And then what I'm saying is, yes, you don't have enough evidence because you're looking for scientific evidence. And science can't know that. If you look at religious evidence, the Quran, the Bible, uh, just about every person that's ever lived with every religion, there's life after death. If you say, I'm agnostic about something and there's evidence to be looked at, don't just think it's all scientific evidence. The first thing you should look at, I suppose, is near-death experiences and parapsychology. or whatever. Look at the scientific evidence, but there's also religious evidence. I think we have a prejudice here to look just for scientific evidence, and we miss the fact that there's other kinds of evidence in this culture. Why, if there is a God, isn't the evidence clearer? So, why isn't the evidence clearer? Good question. Um, from the perspective of science, from the perspective of where are the miracles if there's a God? Didn't, isn't the Bible filled with them? Are, are they mythological? I don't see them now. What about from God's perspective, to answer that question? And what about from our perspective? So, from four perspectives, we're going to try to answer the question, why isn't the evidence for God clearer? Very simply, from the perspective of science, there's a very simple answer. Science doesn't have the evidence for God's existence because God is not a datum of science. Science investigates the physical world. God is not physical. Science really can't say legitimately whether or not there's a God. It's not the purview of science to adjudicate that issue. Science has nothing really to say about whether God exists. The minute a scientist says God doesn't exist, that scientist is not doing science. That scientist has become uh, 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 engaged in scientism. That's what scientism is, making a philosophical statement that science is the only truth there is. And uh, that's you can't do it scientifically. Science begs the question, you know, with its method. I, I'll just do this quickly because you need to know this. This is the culture. Science begs the question. It says our scientific method of empirical verification, remember, verification by the five senses, which feed our reason, 
our scientific method cannot establish, cannot verify, cannot justify God's existence. Therefore, God doesn't exist. That begs the question. It begs the question of what method do we use to establish God's existence? It assumes that it's a scientific method. That's the last thing you want to do, is to use the scientific method to try to justify God's existence. Mind you, in the last 30 years, we've had some scientific evidence for God that we'll we'll look at, and all of a sudden, the scientific method is not so bad. But until the last 30 years, science in saying that uh, God exists or God doesn't exist, usually the latter, always the latter, is based on begging the question that their method is the only reliable source of truth. So, if the question of the, of the article is, why isn't the evidence for God clearer? From a scientific perspective, the answer is because you're using the wrong method. You're not looking in the right place. Of course, if there's a God, you're not going to find it in biology or physics. But I could make a case that you could, but I don't want to cloud the issue. I'm just saying, in general, science can't find God. It has nothing to say about it. This is why when the Russian astronaut goes up, you know, the first astronaut, and when Carl Sagan makes this outrageous statement that's given in this this article, that if there really is a God, this God should put a red cross, flaming cross in the sky. What he's saying is, this atheist, is that I'll believe in God if you give me scientific proof. That's what the astronaut said, the Russian cosmonaut. Hey, I'm up in the air and I don't see God. You Christians have been wrong all the time. There's no God up here. There's no scientific evidence for God. It's just empty space. What nonsense. But that's what the scientific method does. So I'm saying if you're looking for evidence, if you're wondering why the evidence for God isn't clear and you're looking scientifically, like most of the culture does, despite the fact that we don't do much, at least we still trust science. Science is the, you know, the source of truth. Science has a stranglehold on what's true and what isn't. We've been brainwashed into this nonsense. They can't tell you about a lot of things, but especially about whether God exists or not. It's impossible in science to address that question. And a a true scientist, a true philosopher, and by the way, philosophy is wedded with science. Philosophies decided that their role in culture is to explain science to the people. That's a pitiful role, but that's what it does. Philosophy is going to explain science to us. And basically they say you should only believe what can be empirically verified and what's rational. Well, that, that, that excludes God. It begs the question. You don't even look at the evidence because it, there isn't any evidence in science. It, I can make a case there is, but I'm saying in general, science is not going to answer the question because it's the wrong method. Okay, so why isn't the evidence clear? From the perspective of science, it's looking in the wrong place. It's using the wrong method. It's playing Monopoly with bridge rules. It's got the wrong game going. Of course it can't find God. What about from God's perspective? What do you think God thinks about all this? You think if there's a God, God would just make sure that we're all completely convinced, here's the evidence, I exist. Well, the Christian Bible actually says that there's more than enough evidence for us to believe. That's in Romans chapter 1, 19 to 20, if anybody knows that and Romans chapter 2, and all kinds of other places, that there is general, rational evidence. Psalm 19 from David in 1000 B.C. says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the stars above. All of this is evidence that there's an order, a structure, a beauty, a purpose. 
There's enough evidence, but from God's perspective, what do you think would be the point of God forcing people to believe? Like, what would be the point? For one thing, we certainly wouldn't need any scriptures telling us to turn and be saved. Um, they, they wouldn't be telling us that we should love God and thank God for creation, for, 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 you know, for, for giving us life. There wouldn't be any need because we'd all be simply forced to believe. I can't even imagine, you know, when, like, I can't even imagine what it would be like for God simply to reveal God's self and just completely overwhelm us, if that were even possible. You know, when you see these angels appear in the Bible, people don't say, gee, how are you, you know, Mike or Gabe? Like, how's it going up there? Like, it's like they're on their face, half dead in fear. Like, this is what happens in John and in Revelation. This is what happens to Isaiah, to Jeremiah. Like, these are angels. Like, you know, created beings. I can't even imagine God revealing God's self like, and, and, and not just overwhelming us to death. There, there, are, there are, like I say, Isaiah 6 gives you an idea of what it's, what it's like to see a vision of God. Not God himself, but a vision of God sitting there on the throne. He's on his face, half dead, in fear and trembling, just hard stopped. And the same thing in John's book of Revelation. Now, there, there's a reason for this. What God wants it's a very simple thing. It's the same thing you want from your children, God forbid, when you have them and your parents have been starving for all their lives, God forbid. They want your love. They want, they want your thanks. They want your respect. That's all God wants. God didn't have to create. God created out of love. God created because, not because God was lonely or any other caricature. God created because God's love. God is sharing this beauty, this universe with all of us, giving us an immortal life. That's, that's why God all God wants in return is to just acknowledge that, you know, turn away from the pagan garbage stuff, worshipping the creature instead of the creator, worshipping little wooden and stone idols and walking around with amulets that, you know, come from God knows where. You know, it's all God wants from the theistic point of view, from God's perspective, is acknowledgement, just like your parents want. Thank you for life. Thank you for caring. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the blessings. That's all that, now there's no, God's not going to get that if, if, if we're simply forced to believe. There's a reason for this. The fact that there's, there's, there's always a little bit of faith in this. It's not all, it's not a rational belief all the time. Rational beliefs can be developed. You can develop your faith with a little bit of justifying them, you know, critical study like we're trying to do here, but we, we have faith in God. And that faith, sometimes, you know, when, when someone gets hit with some horrible disease or in a terrible accident and is sitting there, you know, in a hospital bed for days and months and years and with a cancer and a pain, wondering where God is in all of this or is there a God in all of this? You know, the Bible and, the, and Christianity and other religions, I'm sure, too, give us reasons why God doesn't just pop out of the, you know, into your hospital room or cure your cancer immediately. There are reasons. You're learning tolerance, you're learning perseverance, you're learning patience, you're growing spiritually. We're developing. We're not just staying infants in our spiritual life. There are reasons why God doesn't just appear whenever we need God. God's there. You know, there's enough times when God does appear, but there are a lot of times when God is silent for a very good reason. And even about the painful thing of watching creatures, that it's like disowning your mother or father, saying, I, I don't believe in you. I mean, the, the pain that must bring. 
it's incredible. But God's purpose is not to create creatures and overwhelm them. Um, that, that's what we're saying. That, that's what we acknowledge. That's what seems rational. That's, what, that's our justification, or part of our justification for why the evidence from God's perspective, the evidence for God isn't clear. It would defeat God's purpose. Um, God wants a free gift of love, a free acknowledgement, not a forced one. One theologian, in fact, you know him, uh, Norm Geisler, the one that we read on uh, apologetics, he said if God forced our love, it, 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 it would be indistinguishable from rape. That's not what God's about. Forced love is not what God wants. Um, God wants us to develop spiritually and, and acknowledge God. That's it. So from God's perspective, if you've ever wondered why isn't the evidence clear, why doesn't God just overwhelm us with evidence? There'd be no, there'd be no point then. Like, I mean, your parents have overwhelmed you with evidence that you actually belong to them. You weren't adopted as you suspect. Like, you're actually their, 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 their kid. But do you love and respect them? Like, it's, it, it's not, with God though, you certainly would. The power, there, there's, a, there's a version of this in, in, in Hinduism when Krishna uh, reveals himself to Arjuna, as some of you know, in the Bhagavad Gita. And it just overwhelms the man. Like it's, 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 it's not something that... Like if you're demanding like Sagan, I told you I've seen debates where the atheist stands there and says, I still don't believe in God despite all your arguments and if there is a God, I dare this God to strike me dead right now and then I'll believe. Like God doesn't respond to that kind of stuff. You know, if you think you need this conclusive evidence, what you really are asking is what the occult provides. The occult play with the Ouija boards. I'm not saying do it, but this is what the occult does. They want to know what's going on in the nether, nether realms of life, and they don't believe in God. They believe in some kind of a universal force that's impersonal but powerful that you can tap into, and the Ouija board starts talking or the spirits start talking to you. Like That's not what the God of Christianity or the God of theism is. It can't be manipulated by our playing Ouija boards or asking mediums about... Uncle Fred that died of cancer and what it's like in the other side. Our God doesn't communicate that way. Um, that's the occult. Um, there are good, good reasons. I've got a class next term on God and suffering because that's the biggest argument against belief in God. There's too much suffering and misery in the world. And there are good, good reasons why God doesn't eradicate all suffering, why God doesn't appear and eradicate it all. Very good reasons, and they just have to be understood, and then it, it starts making sense. Because when people suffer cancer or horrible things, belief in God starts taking, taking a hit, to say the least. Rabbi Kushner is a good example, and there's hundreds and hundreds of others. Rabbi Kushner, who wrote that famous book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, when his son got this terminal disease, he basically said that God never performs miracles. See, I think that's wrong. But, I mean, he almost became a deist, this Jewish rabbi. Because God didn't cure his son, he's convinced that God never cures anybody. Like that, it, It's kind of like God, as, as, a, as a healer, disappears for him. It's a tragedy to watch this. We, we had a TV program. I had to go and debate a bishop who didn't believe in um, everything. The resurrection, the virgin birth, Christ is the Son of God. He just, he's a bishop of Chicago and he rejects every major Christian belief. It turns out we're chatting in the little green room before we go on TV to debate this thing. And he tells us, of course, I had a son who died. 
Like he's so friggin' angry at God, like it just clouds his mind, so he's rejected that, you know, if God can't save my son, then he can't save anybody. So of course there's no miracle of a virgin birth, and of course there's no miracle of Jesus. He didn't perform a miracle for my son. How could he possibly perform a miracle for anybody else? It was just unbelievable. What a, talk about a logical fallacy. My son wasn't cured, therefore miracles don't happen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues. 